46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. (laughs) What's happening, all my woods people? We are currently uh, in and around Emory, Texas, (laughs) and we're driving. You can probably tell. So there may be some some bumps and some noise and this and that going on, but uh, Casey is my co-pilot tonight. What's happening, dude? Just deer driving. It's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And pretty much when you're in the heart of the off season, there's not much else to do but drive around and just maybe daydream about being able to hunt a property one day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And. We've got some perspective or prospective properties going on right there now. There are some prospects. We're actually fixing a view one on our right, not yeah. far from here. Yeah. Um, but if uh, I, I think this one would work out, I just have to ask. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't work out, we can go to Plan B, which is always the public land game, which is fun. Yeah. Speaking of Plan B, we have a guest tonight that is a good dude to be talking to this time of year. He is. And I love the way you did that. The transition master, T. Jones, over here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we have Chris B., who is a professional archer, which this is the time of year to start getting into archery and start learning how to shoot your bow better and figuring it out and practicing and that kind of thing. And that's what we've got today is an episode that talks a lot about that. It talks about... Um, uh, hunting deer as well. So we try to take all these, these uh, we're going to try to take all these different concepts and we're going to try to relate them all to the hunting world. So it's not, uh, you know, so you don't sit there and think, oh, well, this is how you would shoot, you know, if you were in competition or something like that. But, 
you know, it's different in the woods. We're going to try to make sure you know this is what you do in the woods. Anyway, before that, though, you and I got a few things to talk about, or at least I know I do. So you may be doing some listening. <laughs> but uh, I actually, one thing that I plan on doing is getting a new rest soon. So uh, I would say this. If anybody has any suggestions or thoughts about a new rest um, and what I should get, I would love to hear them. I always love hearing everybody's takes on uh, what kind of equipment I should use because uh, nothing better than, uh, you know, first-person experience to help you out. That's been good over the last couple of years doing this thing. So, you know, I always... I know a lot of guys that shoot the QAD Ultra Rest, mm-hmm. and like it seems to come come standard on Matthews bows, so I think that might be part of it. But uh, I kind of always wonder if it's one of those things where it's just uh, just accepted as like that's what you do, but is it really the best answer? Mm-hmm. You know, are there better answers for dropaways than the yeah. QAD Ultra Rest? Right, and that's uh, you know doing research. Man, everything you see is on that on that particular rest, and it's high dollar, and I'm willing to pay high dollar for a rest if it's going to make me shoot accurately but i mean how else do you really know mm-hmm. uh than by kind of what word of mouth <laughs> it's is kind of funny because people are so passionate about archery equipment is that it does not matter what it is there's someone who hates it someone who loves it and a bunch of people in between yeah every product so oh, like yeah. it's 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 literally like there's so much information about it that it doesn't do you any good to have the information yeah yeah that's true man so anyway if you got any thoughts about that feel free to hit me up casey i have a story for you do you this this i have a couple stories actually this this road right here is where i shot at my first archery buck is it really and hit him in the dead zone oh no yeah so hunted a little property down here that i got permission uh from on a guy that old guy in town asked him if we could hunt if i could hunt and he was like yeah y'all go out there whatever me and a buddy did so started putting some corn out out here and uh and hung in this little opening didn't have a clue really what i was doing you know always just hunted feeders going up and gun hunted starting to get into archery my dad taught me how to shoot a little bit and and so uh anyway put uh put a stand up in a tree on the edge of this opening i don't even know if i knew where my wind was blowing um, uh, and, uh, probably, I don't know, it has at least 30 minutes before what time it is right now. So it's you know, not too late, but it's golden hour. Um, I see a buck coming and I put my binos on him and it's a three point. Oh yes. I'm like, yes, sir. Legal. He's legal. <laughs> so he got to like five yards, came straight to the tree from like 70 yards out at like five yards. And, um, you'll hear Chris talk about this in this episode, I'm sure. But uh, didn't didn't get my anchor point right, if you know what I mean, mm. at a fi- on a five yard deer and shot high and mm. hit him in the dead zone, and we found one tiny spot of blood over the next day. So pretty disappointing. Yeah, how heartbroken were you? Very, very. I was sick. I mean, yeah, that was one of those things that I always wanted to do was shoot a deer in in East Texas, and uh, growing up around here, that was not like mm-hmm. like if you didn't have land to hunt on like that was not an easy thing to get done you know mm-hmm. but that property was right up here is that him so, is it that deer that you shot uh, that might be him right there i think actually. it might be i think it's a yeah. buck yeah it does look like it <laughs> he's solo and he's big bodied yeah that's so cool. anyway yeah that's one story my next story and this has happened uh let's see was this last weekend no this is the weekend before maybe anyway uh my wife had a birthday mm-hmm. and i hadn't talked about this yet on the podcast i don't believe but 
um, her and I decided to go down, and if you are a podcast listener, you'll remember Jesse Griffiths, who has a restaurant named Daidue in Austin, Texas. So we decided to take a trip down to Austin. You know, people that aren't from Texas or hadn't been here might think, oh, yeah, you know, just cool little, you know, town right down the road from where we're at. No, it <laughs> takes about five hours to get there. But we ended up going down there to his uh, his restaurant, and Jesse was not able to be there um, that night, but uh, made a gesture and paid for some of our food, which I thought was really cool. Uh, we didn't know that was going to happen until we went to pay the bill. So, anyway, we had a blast. The food... I'm not just saying this was spectacular. I mean, it was incredible. It looked good. Dude, we had these these bay shrimp that were large for one. <laughs> and literally, I don't know what they were cooked in, but it was like an appetizer. It was kind of an expensive appetizer, but it was worth it. And they were cooked in something that had, it was almost like a, like some kind of a thin, real thin, like etouffee of some kind or something. Oh, my goodness. Me and Kaylee were just smiling. We were just like, <laughs> what is this? Like, I've never tasted anything like this, but it's incredible. And so, anyway, the the main part of this story um, is happened before we actually went to the restaurant, okay? Mm-hmm. I was signed up, which I wanted to do this because I had never done it, and I thought this would be something that would, like, maybe uh, help my old football body out but i was signed up for a massage by kaylee hmm. and so we went to get Wait, this is that a place massage couple, by kaylee <laughs> uh, i wish <laughs> okay <laughs> you're about to find out why um we did a couple's massage and so uh when she had kind of like uh pre-ordered this thing or whatever online like they asked you, you know do you want to uh do you prefer what sex of person does your massage and i was like I mean, I'm not too worried about it, but yeah, uh, a female would be would be a lot less creepy and and make me more comfortable at least probably, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get there, and this was happening. Yeah, this is the first thing we did when we got to Austin. We get there, it's all kind of weird and not my kind of scene, you know, too much. And and anyway, they call us back and they go, oh, and she introduces us to our masseuses, which are both men. Oh, awkward for both of you. <laughs> well, I think I don't think she had a preference anyway. So yeah. Anyway, they're both men, so we get in there and it's like super quiet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and there are uh, there are you know it's like some Chinese music playing like real soft, you know, in the background, and uh, and so he says a couple words and he's got his masseuse voice going on, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. and so. Mm-hmm. I'm just, like, uh, already kind of, like, tense, you know, and just not really digging this. And he goes to working on my back. And, dude, I don't see how it's possible to squeeze somebody as hard as this dude was squeezing me, man. I'm talking nailing, like, every little spot in between my Mm. spine column, you know. Mm. And I'm, like, I'm sitting there just trying to be tough. You know, I'm the dude. (laughs) My wife hadn't said anything yet, you know. And so, like... I'm like, I'm going to be tough. So, like, 10 minutes into this thing, he starts hitting my neck, and I can't take it, dude. And I'm like, a little less pressure, please. (laughs) How polite of you. So, anyway, uh, this guy also happens to have a stuffed-up nose, which is really cool in a quiet room. (laughs) Um, 
when you're, you know, barely breathing uh, out of your nose <laughs> and it's making all kinds of weird noises. And then, you know, you got to sniffle every like mm-hmm. couple seconds. Um, okay. <laughs> so he starts, uh, he, I'm eventually I get turned over on my back and uh, he definitely, he worked the legs and worked up real high. Ooh. On me uh, several times, which was uncomfortable. I, th- there was not a moment of comfort during this whole thing. Okay, <laughs> it doesn't sound like no. it. No, and so at one point he, I'm I'm on my back, and he gets up uh, on top like by my head, kind of right, mm-hmm. and uh, and he and I've got my eyes closed because you're supposed to relax, you know, whatever. And he starts working on my biceps, and he's working down my biceps, and all of a sudden he like takes his arms. And starts to, like, go down my arms with both of his arms, right? And I feel something touch the top of my head, first of all. No. <laughs> and so I know he's getting, like, he's getting stretched out a little bit. And I can, like, feel his head very close to my head. Okay? <laughs> and so... I cracked one of my eyes open just barely. (laughs) Dude, our faces were so close to each other. (laughs) And I just, I just closed my eye real quick and just tried not to breathe, dude. (laughs) And so anyway, uh, that was, that was towards the end. And that was kind of like the grand finale, I guess. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So (laughs) Oh, wow. He got all up in my space, man. There was yeah. not a moment of comfort that I had in that whole thing. Yeah. Oh. I have a massage story not nearly as funny, but pretty funny <laughs> that would go along with that. Sure. Yeah. We did a couple massage one time, too, and um, I didn't really care to, like, be next to Cassie while doing the couple massage because I'm going to not say words, and I'm not going to touch her, and I'm not <laughs> going to have my eyes open, right? So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, just put us in different rooms, you know? I don't care. And uh, so we did that, and I got a, a uh, hefty, well-endowed lady who was a really good masseuse, masseuse and uh, she did the same exact move, except when she bent over, it was oh. like <laughs> I was suffocated in her bosom. It was terrible. <laughs> like It was like I had earmuffs on, man. Oh, my goodness. It was, yeah, so... Pretty much, maybe we should just like request at the, at the beginning of the massages that we they don't do that move, whatever that's called. If you know what yeah. that's called, reach out to us, let us know, and we need to not have that happen. <laughs> yeah, 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 we definitely the bicep bosom choker. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not good. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> so you went uh, on a trip re- uh, this weekend. <clears throat> we didn't. There's a deer right there on the side of the road. What are y'all gummit. doing over there? Um, so you went on a trip this weekend. Yeah. How was yeah. that, man? It was great, man. It's, we uh, haven't talked about it, really. Yeah, Higher Ground Ministries, which is like a non-denom uh, church retreat thing they do for men and women across, uh, well, they have two places in Texas and one place in New Mexico that they do it. And um, it's like, uh, man, just a, uh, so I'm going to struggle to descri- describe it because it's, you know, kind of one of those things. And it uh, was very spiritually moving. It was very uh, good at breaking you down, which sounds strange, but like us as men in particular, we're so bad about putting up these walls and being like trying to be strong and macho, and it's so hard to let your guard down. But when you do, and you feel like you're around friends and you're around people who care about you, it's a lot easier, and that's kind of what this thing sets you up to. Mm -hmm. And then they, um, 
there's like 12 or 13 different talks at, w- during this thing, kind of like le- mini lessons or whatever. But it's really 12 or 13 testimonies of guys and, and what God's done in their life and where they've came from. And and uh, there was a lot of man tears going on this weekend. Oh, that's good, yeah, man. That's it was, good. It, cool. was, it was cool, man. And I know, I know that doesn't sound like fun, Um it might be type two fun, like we've talked about a few times <laughs> on the podcast, but it really wasn't even about fun, you know. And to be honest, like heading into this thing, uh, me as kind of a stir crazy outdoors kind of person, I was really worried about having to sit inside for two days straight. And then come Sunday, once we did our, our church service there, uh, I didn't even, like, that's when I finally realized, like, hey, I didn't worry about being inside this whole weekend at all the whole time I was here, you know, and that's when you know, like, that conversations are good and the worship's good and, like, God was there, you know, and that's that's cool, you know, and we, we read in Scripture that, you know, whenever two or, get, two or more are gathered, God is, God is with them, and you get that many people together for a common purpose and, and singing, praising God, it's it's pretty moving, man. Yeah. So that's what we had going on this weekend. Well, that's cool, man. I you know, like that. What you kind of struck a chord with me, which is actually a pun. But um, <laughs> I, uh, when you talk about like guys getting uh, like <clears throat> calloused and mm-hmm. such to a lot of the things, um, a lot of things in the world, I guess. Um, like I try to, as a musician, as a songwriter, more than anything, really. Like, um, you know, you have this. Uh, you have to like have the ability like reach inside and pull out emotions from yourself or you're just writing lame music usually yeah, you sure. know so uh, so like recently i wrote a song that's going to be uh, on the next album that uh is very deep and about like some really tough moments in my life in the last like three years yeah. and it's one of those things that um, I know when I sing it in the studio, like there will be man tears, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. because I that's know that cool. because I, that happened on the last album and I can just tell with this song that it's going to be that way. And it, like, I, I don't know, it's just, um, you know, when a guy like shoots a big buck that he's put a lot of work in for and he, and he cries, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a bunch of like bottled up emotion that has come out in that moment, you know. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing for me uh, with music. Like there's been a lot that has like come to a head all of a sudden in this moment where like you're finally in the studio to record the final version of this song, you know, and, uh, you want to put your heart and soul into it, uh, vocally, you know? So, um, uh, but yeah, like I, I, I have to deal with that. And so I guess like as a, as a bridge here, like I have really tried to kind of reach back out, especially this weekend with you gone. I didn't have nothing to do. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to <laughs> Next high ground, you got to go. That's it. That's it. Uh, no, but I was, I've been, I reached out, uh, you know, and to my, my audience uh, with my band, the Tyler and the tribe and, um, and tried to like kind of open up to them emotionally about some things that have happened. And the ACMs mm-hmm. went on this weekend and stuff. And, um, you know, we did a song with Marin Morris, and so like there's uh, some emotions that have played into that. So if you're interested in knowing what I was talking about, you can go check out, uh, you know, my Facebook video that I did live video um, on that page. But uh, anyway, like I've been trying to like open up, just be transparent and honest, and, and that kind of thing. And it's not very easy to do in the public eye, man. You know, yeah. um, 
I guess the reason I'm doing that is in preparation for this next album. So like as a kind of shameless plug here for the music, um, you know, doing a pledge music campaign, which is uh, kind of like a funding campaign. But what you do is you plant, you pledge X amount of money and it doesn't cost you anything until basically you get what you bought. Um, and if we don't fulfill the campaign, then you don't owe anything and you don't, you know, none of this stuff is, uh, delivered. So, but, uh, we've got a pledge music campaign. I think the goal is $5,000, which won't cover the album, but, um, I, I have a little extra money saved up for it and, uh, that'll help tremendously towards getting the album done. So if you uh, are interested in music, interested in seeing what kind of music I am coming up with, um, you know, go, uh go check out that pledge music campaign kind of a plug there but uh i appreciate you guys for listening to that and and allowing me to to kind of plug it so i know we're running along on this intro but uh i just wanted to make a statement (laughs) i have spent a lot of money on tags this year already (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've spent some and am going to spend more very soon yeah me too i still have iowa up so oh yeah i know that's a brutal one yeah so i gotta buy points this year for that and that we can do that until much later i believe uh really I think I thought I, it was I mean, still the same deadline, but just way cheaper. Maybe not. I need to check on that. And make yeah. sure it's a. It's usually first of June, I believe. So yeah. yeah, we should have we should have time. We'll check on it. But anyway, um, I think it's uh, about time to wrap up this intro. We're going to get to Chris B. And uh, man, just I know that uh, this isn't the end of the podcast, but thank you guys for listening and allowing us to uh, have this platform, share this platform with you guys, and share just our thoughts and emotions and. Uh, hopefully we don't get too emotional for you guys sometimes, but, uh, keep <laughs> some tactics in there. Yeah. It's part of it. You know, <laughs> but, like, yeah. uh, I feel like, uh, if you don't share the human element, like how, how exciting is, is this, you know, what, what, right. what is life, you know, but, like for real though, you know, like yeah. what's the point of doing all this yeah, stuff? I, so. I said this before and I can't remember what podcast it was. Um, but people are the most important thing on the earth, you That's know? Right. So, uh, the relationships that we build with each other are very important to us. So anyway, let's get Chris B on the phone and, uh, listen to what this professional archer has to say. So on the phone, we have competitive archery shooter, vlogger, and hunter, Chris B of the B season. What's happening, dude? Thanks for having me guys. Yeah. Pleasure. Oh man. We're, we're glad to have you for sure. What's good, man. What's been happening in your world? Just been grinding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seems like it's just nonstop, but yeah, everything's great. Everything's good. Uh, competitions are going to start ramping up here pretty soon for outdoor coming in uh, May, and uh, it's just going to be even crazier. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's all good. So you're still really involved in the competitive side of archery, huh? Yeah. So um, I've shot since I've been, you know, I started shooting a bow when I was six years old. Um, first to bow hunt my dad bow hunted um but eventually i found tournaments through a local club organization and um thought that was really cool went to a couple state tournaments uh thought it was you know even more cool and went to nationals and then you know it just snowball effect from there started going to national events and everything and discovered um usa archery and usat events and the united states uh archery team and made that for several years and when I was 16, um, there's a major tournament in Vegas every year. Mm-hmm. It's like worlds. It's like the shoot. If you know anything about competition archery, you're there pretty much. Um, so I decided when I was 16 to jump into the pro division. Um, and I 
did extremely well. I only dropped one point. I shot 899 out of 900, which Ooh. I was like, yeah. So I, I cleaned it the first two days and I was only like the final 15 people clean. I got all the pros and everything. And I, I really didn't have any clue what the heck was going on. Cause I was only 16, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, at the end of, at the end of that second day, um, Hoyt, which is my current sponsor, came up to me and be like, and I've had a little bit of relationship with them, but they were like, hey, you're doing really good. Let's let's uh, talk after type thing. So uh, I ended up dropping one the third day or whatever. But that moment right there kind of kicked off my pro career. And uh, I've been shooting ever since. Uh, finally shot a 900 in Vegas and made the shoot off last year. So not this year, Vegas, but last year, Vegas. So that was super cool. And uh, yeah, just grinding ever since and i'm still a college student i go to uh michigan state university um for advertising so still going to college and doing hunts like you mentioned bcs and stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of me in a nutshell right now cool man that's good so uh for the listener that may not know um you know i'm asking for a friend here but what is a 900 (laughs) sorry yeah so (laughs) a basic Vegas round. So that's like the, you see the the yellow, the red, blue, the black, the yellow target. Mm -hmm. There's the three spot version and that's, you shoot 30 arrows and out of those 30 arrows, if you shoot all tens, that's a 300. So, and that's at 20 yards indoors. Okay. So each day in Vegas, you shoot 30 arrows. And by the end of the third day, you shot a total of 90 arrows. And if you shot all tens, that's a 900. So it's not that it's extremely hard to shoot a 900. Like all the pros should be able to do it on any day of the week. The problem is, is the pressure cooker of Vegas that makes it so hard to shoot the 900. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there was 15 people out of several hundred, you know, that shot a 900 the year I shot it, you know, and this year there was 10 or 12 or or so. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's 900. Cool. So, so on that note, I'm going to kind of jump into something that I really wasn't wanting to get into yet, but we'll go ahead and do it. Um, yeah, let's do it. You know, um, I'm not like much like in that perfect form archer category. Um, I don't know a ton about archery or shooting, even though I've shot a bow for about 12 years or so now. Um, Mm-hmm. After this podcast, I intend to strive to be better, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, ramp it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I've shot pretty well on whitetail deer. And, like, my dad and I, if we shoot together, like, he's worse than me on the target, you know. Uh, okay. Not, not much. But, like, my dad has seriously, in the last 10 years, he's watched every single deer he's shot fall. And I'm talking, like, not run 300 yards out in the open. And we're talking, like die in like 40 or 60 yards you know so like he's just he's just a crack shot when it comes like down to the game time and just got that killer instinct yes it's a lot of people call it killer killer instinct stink dive called it uh just like being a gamer um so like in the moment of truth you know you come through um i mean do you experience that do you like believe in that what you know what are your thoughts on that like during hunting? Well, like just, uh, I mean, even in competition, or? you know, like you reminded me when you're talking about in competition, just the pressure yeah. of Vegas, you know, like um, there's just some people that can come through and, and shoot. And then like, there's those guys that 
will never shoot a 900 even though they could do it any day of the week they just can't do it at vegas because it's so much pressure you know oh yeah yeah 100 percent. so yeah i get what you're saying now i mean yeah the top dogs that have been doing it forever have mastered that pressure and it's still a a non-going never-ending as many times as you've been to vegas that pressure is always there and it's always so hard to overcome it but there are the guys that you know are it seems like they don't have a pulse you know mm-hmm. like jesse broadwater for example uh he just seems like mikey slosher these are names that you know if you're in the community you know it but uh you know those guys can just straight up pound you know under whatever amount of pressure right um and yeah i mean in the hunting situation same thing you know i missed quite a few deer you know which <laughs> my high school buddies make fun of me because they all deer hunt and stuff too and they they figure since i'm like a tournament archer and stuff that i'd smoke everything <laughs> but uh you know and that pressure happens and and you know you mess up every now and again um but yeah definitely there's a there's a tournament kill mode i guess you could say when you're on stage yeah. at a you know head-to-head match or something 100 percent. there's guys that just love that stuff and then there's guys that just absolutely crumble you know mm-hmm. yeah and and you know just fall apart so yeah i'm see i'm kind of like you mentioned this there's guys that have like mastered that and therefore those guys probably have a lot of experience you know how is that what you're seeing like how do you develop this trade is it just you have to be in that situation is a lot of times before you can you know develop yeah or high pressure yeah. situations I think that's one thing for sure is being, being in it as many times as you possibly can, you know, um, going to as many tournaments as you can. Um, just, you know, knowing that feeling, knowing how to deal with that feeling. Um, and then, you know, like a lot of it is just, you know, who you are, just personality and, you know, not everyone's, you know, competitive like that or, or, you know, can handle it, Mm -hmm. but, you know, definitely anything's uh, obviously anything's achievable. And the more you go and the more you learn and just, know how to deal with those situations is is the better so yeah so how do you feel the crossover is do you think that being stone cold in tournament uh helps you a ton being stone cold in the woods or do you think it's kind of inverse or it helps a little bit or how has it affected you since you've gotten so much in the tournament archery you know from the stand yeah so i definitely think that tournament archery helps um especially like i do a lot of self-filming yeah and uh i've gotten my ratio is a lot better at getting the kill on film than not getting. Uh, I don't think I've like missed an opportunity in a long time at getting one on film. Yeah. It's so just cause you're a that, baller. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it's, ha- I think that tournament archery has taught me, you know, in those, in those pressure moments in that, you know, 89th arrow or 90th arrow, you know, focusing in and, and knowing that, you know, in tournament archery, you look at it as, every arrow counts as one arrow and it's not as a cumulative, you know, all 90 arrows. You look at it as every single arrow is its own arrow. Mm -hmm. So in hunting, you know, you probably, you can think of it a similar way that this moment, even though it's a high pressure situation, it's still, you know, it's real time, everything, you know, you're in control of it, you know? So Mm -hmm. just slowing down, just thinking through everything, you know, making sure camera's good, everything, and then and then you focus in on you know shooting an animal or whatever. But um, yeah, hundred percent think that if I was just one or the other, I wouldn't be as good. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. You know, and this past year is my first year doing any self filming at all. Really, I uh, 
I had dabbled in a little bit of film stuff when I was in high school, but it, you know, it's like you're talking about, like for a little handy cam, just you know, uh, yeah. just doing your thing because it's fun with your buddies or whatever. But since right, I started right. hanging out with Tyler, he's all about that film stuff and talked me into <laughs> doing you know some of it, and we do a lot of it together. But the self filming for for me was super new this year, and it is astounding how bum fuzzled you can get whenever oh, heck <laughs> you yeah. know like you got animals <laughs> around and you're just trying to figure out like where's the record button you know and it's something you've done a million times but the the pressure and it's it's a whole new pressure because i feel like uh i got to touch a game or two when it comes to shooting animals i've i've I used to have an occupation where I got to shoot a lot at animals. So, like, pull the yeah. trigger. Being a trigger man for me is not that big of a deal. Of course, whenever you, you have a, a target buck in there, it's a different thing altogether. But, but still, right. you know, like, I feel like I, I'm pretty composed. But then you start throwing electronics into the mix and, and <laughs> oh trying to gosh, frame yeah. stuff up. Man, it is insane. So, uh, you know, why did you decide you wanted to self-film in the first place? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, I used to film my dad every now and again. Um, we used to go on these, like, in Michigan, it's a big thing. Uh, there's, like, trophy hunts or whatever, where it's, like, a big thousand-acre ranch, and you can go shoot wild pigs or whatever. And for his work, he used to go on a trip every year, and this is when I was, like, eight, nine years old so like before i would would hunt or anything and I, yeah i would carry i would carry around a video camera and just film everything because i didn't have anything else to do and uh that's actually where it really started but in high school i think junior year um me and a couple buddies thought it'd be a good idea to create an instagram page and try to get some hunts on film and stuff and we were actually in a uh a uh, entrepreneurial like marketing class and we had to create a business mm-hmm. <laughs> So we created like a outdoor TV show business cool. type thing. So we actually played it all out, and I think we got up to four thousand followers on Instagram and stuff, and <laughs> put together some hunts, and we got uh, three or four kills like that fall semester during school. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of cool. And I stuck with it, and the other guys didn't. And I just, you know, worked at stealing, you know the the video camera out of the family cupboard to, you know, <laughs> record baseball games. I'm not kidding. Record baseball games. And I bought a $30 gorilla arm, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. did that for a year and got like two films or two, two hunts on film and worked my way up and bought my own stuff. And I mean, now I'm upgraded to, I guess you could say production quality stuff, but I just enjoy it. Like at first I just love the, the confirmation and the, and just the, huge excitement of knowing you shot the deer but then you also got it on film mm-hmm. that you can watch forever you know yeah like there's a lot of kills on film that i haven't done anything with you know in the beginning stages i just enjoyed having that memory i guess you could say mm-hmm. um but now i just love sharing it and you know just the whole experience sure man it's yeah. just another one of those things where you you can just add another, uh, I guess, edge to what you do and, and put yourself under more pressure, and it just pre- prepares you for, for more pressure in the future, right? So <laughs> yeah, it all makes yeah, sense. for sure. So, so on that note, um, I kind of had a question about, you know, Target is a big part of your life, right? And yeah. uh, this is kind of a debate that I've had with my buddies, uh, you know, around yeah. and different people, but uh, I'm sure you've shot a lot of flat targets and a lot of 3D. Uh, do you feel like one or the other really does prepare you better for a hunting scenario and why? 
It's a great question. Um, I definitely think shooting 3D targets is, you know, definitely more tailored towards hunting situation because it's an animal. Mm-hmm. But shooting a target definitely, um, you know, obviously has scoring rings and stuff, but it, it shows how good you are, you know, yeah. even if you're not scoring. So it really, you know, shows what you need to work on if you're working on form, if you're working on, you know, basically trying to become a better archer to be a better hunter, you know, so shooting a paper target. I mean, I shoot a paper target quite a bit with my hunting bow. Um, actually I'd, I'd probably say I shoot 90% on a paper target with my hunting bow and then only like 10% on a 3d target. Um, so yeah, I mean, target is big for making sure you're, you're, you know, dialed in and, and you, you personally don't have anything you need to work on. So keeping like these bigger concepts in mind as we transition, yeah. like I kind of want to talk about the details of good shooting habits. Um, so kind of okay. shooting form and stuff like that. So when you start creating habits out of form, what are we looking at first? Yeah. So there's a few, you know, basic building blocks, you know, stance, uh, your bow hand, your draw hand, you know, anchor point, you know, there's all that stuff. Um, and assuming that you have the correct drawing and everything, you know, because that's a big thing too. Um, a lot of guys like to get speed out of their bows and they'll have the drawings about three inches longer than they actually should. <laughs> yeah. Um, even TV guys, which is obnoxious, but, um, so, I mean, you know, there's big things, uh, you know, I can narrow in on a few. So anchor point's a huge thing. And, you know, as we're hunting and we're whitetail hunters and going in November in the Midwest, we like to wear a lot of clothes. So, you know, an anchor point can get kind of, muffled underneath you know a face mask or you know a high collar or something so for me it's always super important that i either um am wearing clothes that can keep my you know jawbone face exposed if i'm using a trigger release to really you know anchor behind that ear correctly or you know what, whatever your anchor point is and uh, i really really try not to shoot with a face mask because mm-hmm. even though you, you might be able to practice good with a face mask if you pra- practice with it but when that 160 inch, you know, target buck steps out and you all, you're all, you know, jacked up on adrenaline and, and you pull back and you, and it feels foreign, like I'm for real. And it feels foreign that there's a little thin piece of cloth in between you and you anchor a little bit different and your peep sight's not lined up hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's real scenario right there, mm-hmm. you know? So a big thing, you know, anchor point, making sure that you a hundred percent know your anchor point in your hunting clothes. You know, I'll, I'll practice, I'll practice in all my hunting clothes, at least a couple times a season, you know, make sure everything's good and you got clearance and you're not going to smack your arm because you got some big poofy, you know, coat or something like that. Yeah. And, so, um, so that, so yeah, on the ahead. anchor point, uh, can you explain what you feel like? I mean, I know, I guess they can vary, but what, what does your anchor point look like? So mine, I, I shoot, well, for target, I shoot like back tension, handheld releases and stuff, but I really enjoy just a, a standard index trigger finger for, for hunting. So I'll put my, uh, my first, uh, pointer finger knuckle right behind my ear and then, uh, kind of run my thumb down my jawbone so I can like feel the back of my jawbone. And then I'll do a uh, corner of the mouth on my string and then the tip of the nose on my string. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, one, two, three points of contact. That's the main thing you're looking for. You know, anchor points can vary. 
and you know various anchor points do work but the most important thing is you have various points of contact so whatever those points are is fine but if you just have one point in contact like let's say you're floating away from your face and you just touch touch the nose uh to the string that would be one so obviously that wouldn't be ideal um two is okay but three is best having something you know like like your face against your jawbone, nose to the string, and then like your knuckle in the back of your ear. You know, the more anchor point, you know, solid foundations you have, the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And you said a couple things that I really like, and I wanted you to maybe expand upon a little bit. Let's start first with the nose on the string, and I just kind of yeah. have a, a quandary about that because I'm a nose on the string guy too. I've got a big old nose, so it's pretty easy to make happen. <laughs> it sticks out there pretty far. But, All right. Uh, I. Uh, I shoot a uh, about a thirty-one and a half inch axle to axle bow, and Dang. yeah. So, oh, axle axle. I thought you were saying drawing. No, <laughs> not draw length at all. I'm not a big guy at all. I wish that'd be taking my ear off if that was the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, uh, yeah. ATA. Uh, so, um, my nose is pretty easily contacted to the string because the angles are, are shallower, you know. Right. But whenever. Like, say, for instance, I've shot some of these newer bows that are the compact style, and I have a really tough time making that third point of contact with my nose. Uh, would you, like, if I was to go to something like that, that shorter ATA-style bow, would you suggest uh, trying to, I guess, move your face around to make that happen or just do away with that uh, traditional point of contact? I definitely wouldn't go away from it because having having a tip of nose on your string, even like the your nose, is fine. Um, is is or not fine is key. Yeah. So a couple of things you can do. I mean, you try to keep your head as you know as as upright as you possibly can. Um, but I've seen guys, especially in the competition with some of these long axle axle bows, mm-hmm. sometimes they'll have to slightly turn their chin if you're right-handed to the left. Mm-hmm. So, you know, slightly turn it to make it work. Um, my advice would be to definitely try to figure out how to keep that nose contact on the string. But you don't, you'd also, on the flip side, you also don't want to be burying your nose into the string so much that it's bending it. Yeah, sure. You know, because if that happens, then you're dealing with torque issues and, and everything. And, and if you continue to dig in as you keep holding, like you keep digging in, then every shot can be different. So, Mm-hmm. Um, what's perfect is just slight nose contact. Um, and yeah, so like what you're saying, you're probably like the triax or something. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Like 28? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, that bows, it is different. Um, you know, and you definitely may have to adjust your anchor point a little bit and you may have to bring your hand up on your face a little bit to allow that string to be higher because it is on a steeper angle, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, don't definitely don't go you know, just throw it away, try to figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, if I, I can try to explain it, but there's so many resources on like YouTube, knock on archery, you know, a lot of guys talk about it. Sure. Um, George Riles, I don't know if you're familiar with him, I'm um, not. but he's a very, so George Riles is like the king of <laughs> coaching in the tournament archery. He does a lot of, uh, series called thing a week with last chance archery. So okay. if you search like last chance archery on YouTube, mm-hmm. he has a whole series that he dives, he dives pretty deep, but, um, 
he's very articulate about how he explains things and it's very easy. I, <laughs> I go hunt him every now and again when I need a refresher. So yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Good. Well, we'll yeah. uh, be sure to link to that in our show notes for, for listeners. Um, the yeah, for other sure. thing that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, there's all these, uh, fancy styles of releases and I've never really experimented with much. I've messed with the back tension just to touch, just in a shop, just playing around and, of course, didn't like it because I didn't have anybody actually coaching me. I was just playing with it. Um, right. And I still don't think I'd ever want to hunt with one. I know people do. And then there's the thumb right. style and then the traditional, you know, index finger trigger release. And that's what I, I like to hunt with as well. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me, you as a tournament archer also like to do that. And, and my justification has always been... Uh, I have complete control of when the bow goes off with that style of release, and that's just why I like it. Now, I know it can lead to punching and stuff like that, but at least that's kind of my take on it. Why do you think that you really like that trigger-style release? Yeah, I mean, it's a similar thing. You know, um, mainly for me, I just like that it's on my wrist 100% of the time yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to fumble around in my pocket. Or I've, uh, yeah, I was out west uh, a couple years ago, and I lost my release threw it in my pocket, ran after a mule deer and it reached in my pocket again and it was gone. Oh no. So did you yeah, finger shoot that, at that point in time or did you just No, <laughs> I had a backup. I had a backup. Oh I'm not what? I'm no amateur. What are you talking about? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what you carry an extra release in your pocket on the stall? I've thought about it. In my backpack, hundred percent. Yeah. I've thought about what it. What a G. That is yeah, that's even cool. heck yeah, even a wrist strap, you always need a backup Yeah. Release. I got always, one in my always, bow always. case, but I guess that's just not that's not going to help me a lot in the moment. So that's yeah, in the tree stand, that's not going to do you. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, that's a good point, man. Good point. So, so continue on with your point. Sorry. Yeah. So trigger release. Um, yeah. So basically, deciding what to shoot as a bow hunter: trigger, back tension, or thumb button. Mm-hmm. I always see a lot. Of, I. It's comical because a lot of guys see all of the tournament archers shooting back tension. And they're just a bow hunter, which nothing wrong with that. And they want to pick up a back tension because they feel like it will make them shoot better. Um, that's kind of the wrong way to look at it. Um, it's not going to make you shoot better necessarily, but if you know how to use it properly, it can make you shoot better. Um, it's just kind of a weird way to say it, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to interpret what I'm trying to, what I'm thinking. Um, but so for example, like Levi Morgan, um, I think I watched a video on him once explaining it. Well, he shoots a back tension all the time. So he shoots in tournaments. It's basically an extension of his body. So he knows when that release is going off. He knows exactly, you know, what it is. So to him, it's essentially a trigger, you know, he can rotate through the shot and let it go off whenever he wants. And that's what you want out of a, a back tension. It's it's rotation. It's basically a sear, you know, once it falls off the cliff, it it goes off. And mm-hmm. you do that in tournament archery by pushing and pulling, rotating your back shoulder, and it's supposed to surprise you. So you just hold on the middle and push and pull and push and pull, and the shot goes off. Um, so actually, I just watched this video the other day. That's why I keep having – I'm going back to it. But uh, Levi said – if you can't hold on the deer for a couple seconds to push and pull and let the shot go off, you probably shouldn't take that shot. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very interesting because I also think it's very true, you know, and in, in those quick situations where you have to, you know, punch the trigger or, you know, whatever, 
it's probably when the deer's leaving or turned around or alert or you know what I'm saying or, yeah. or walking. Yeah. So, and you know, I have hunted with a back tension before and you know, I know my back tension very well and I was fine with it. Um, but one big thing was, you know, and they sell them with a strap you can connect to it, but is that I just had it in my pocket. So, you know, if you, if you should be able to, if you're a good archer with good form and you understand the thumb button, the trigger and the back tension, you should be able to pick all of them up and shoot equally as good, you know, at least within a couple points. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest issue is when people pick something up and think it'll automatically make them shoot better. And that's just the wrong way of looking at it. You right. need to, you need to understand it. You need to use it correctly and then it can, you know, it can potentially make you shoot better, but the main thing, you know, you can use back tension and trigger. You can use back tension in a, and a thumb button and you can use, you know, back tension and actual back tension. Yeah. So I think you mentioned the bow hand as being another critical part of your form earlier. Yeah. Uh, can you kind of run through that and talk about uh, correct form within your bow hand? Yeah. So pretty basic. Um, your when you look at your hand, it's called the lifeline. It runs up the center of your palm. Um, your bow grip should be on that line to slightly towards your thumb on that line, the center of the bow grip. Um, and your knuckle should be at a 45 degree angle. So that's like your standard, let's start here type, you know, bow grip. And and a lot of people just run it like that. You don't want to be getting too far into like, you know, any of the meat on your hand, you pretty much want that solid you know, right on that lifeline, a little closer to the thumb, um, you know, all in there is nice and solid. And that's where, when you're at full draw and you run a line straight from your elbow to your bow hand, you know, that's where, that's where you're in line and, you know, everything lines up. So, and you won't hit your arm or anything if you do that correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, so are you, what do your fingers look like in that? Uh, fingers like in your yeah. bow hand. Yeah. At, um, I rest them right on the front of the bow. Okay. Um, so like with my hunting rig, I don't have a wrist strap or anything. I just kind of rest on the front. I don't death grip it. That's right. one big major thing that a lot of guys do, especially, you know, new bow hunters and stuff is they'll death grip it like a baseball bat. You don't want to do that like at all because you'll end up torquing the bow, which will screw up the tune and, and, simple terms not hit where you're aiming at Mm -hmm. um so it's really important just to either have some sort of wrist strap or something so you're confident that you're not going to drop your bow but um just rest your fingers right on the front of it and when the bow goes off just let it kind of float in your hand you don't want to grab it right after off or either because that's going to be you know then you'll anticipate the whole shot and I'll just go downhill from there. So just nice. I mean, archery is just a soft sport, you know, and mm. nothing, nothing is forced. Nothing is, you know, you don't want to be punching anything. Um, everything is hundred percent natural surprise, you know, basically nice and relaxed front hand. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I want to punch things, but I think it's different yeah. than what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so what else is key, um, for for a guy that may be sitting 20 plus feet up in a stand um shooting at a whitetail down on the ground yeah so um first thing is when you so we talked about you know anchor bow grip and everything but now you're shooting at something you know at an angle downwards so 
what a lot of guys do is they'll just draw back and point their point their bow arm straight down and not move your torso or anything else. So now you just jacked up your anchor point and, and everything because you didn't rotate down with it. Mm-hmm. So um, a good training tool to practice shooting out of a tree stand is to draw back at, you know, plane, just zero degrees, and then rotate and bend at the hips and keep everything in line and bend down towards the animal. So you're essentially not moving anything from your belt line up, you know, you're just, you're just bending down. So that keeps, you know, your elbow in line and and everything anchor point wise on your face, you know, exactly how it was as if you're shooting flat. Mm -hmm. Because what a lot of times will happen is people just, you know, point straight down and then they'll miss high. It's the hardest, you know, the, the most likely place where people miss when they just do that is high because everything's jacked up and they're looking out the bottom of their peep or their top of their peep or something. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you can even sit in a chair, a good training tool also is just sit in a chair and then just bend at your hip or bend at your waist, mm-hmm. you know, just as far as you can and just keep stretching. Cause it can, it can feel like a stretch, but you know, and even standing up, you do it also. And yeah. you, if standing up is even a little better because you can kind of use your hips and everything. So, so do you shoot yeah. both ways when you're in stand or have, do you prefer to shoot standing up or, um, I prefer shooting sitting down actually. Yeah. Um, two couple reasons um you're not moving around as much mm-hmm. when the deer is there so you just sit down grab your bow or you're already sitting just grab your bow get the camera on it and way less movement um and yeah i mean that's really it <laughs> you just move yeah. around in my head why would i want to move around standing and pacing around and stuff yeah obviously if the deer is off your right shoulder you got to stand up and turn around but i try to set up you know 70 percent of my shots off my left shoulder I can grab my bow while I'm sitting down. I have my camera arm so I can, you know, reach it while sitting down and everything. And I'm just ready to rock. Yeah. See, I, I'm this, I'm with you on that. I like to shoot sitting down a lot. Um, KC thinks I'm crazy sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've, I, I, I kind of like that as well. Um, you know, for the, for the average Joe that's like a just kind of a, you know, working class dude. Uh, yeah. You know, what – is there a great way to start practicing these techniques throughout the summer and to think that like by the fall, these will become second nature or is this like a probably going to be like a several years process? I mean, I know it's never ending, but you know what I'm saying? I I mean, it all depends. You know, if, if someone puts in the work in the summer and, and reaches out to their local club or their local pro shop and, and have someone watch them and really have someone coach them along this process. Cause it's hard to do on your own. I mean, I have a coach and I've had several coaches throughout my life to, to help me shoot, you know, because it's a big self-awareness thing, you know, am I actually doing this? You know, unless you look at a mirror video record yourself or something, it's hard to know if you're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, yeah, you can get way better with some simple things over a summer, no doubt. Um, but can you, you know, become the world's best archer in a summer? Probably not. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you can definitely make leap, leaps and bounds by just, you know, even pulling out the bow three times a night or three times a week and shooting 30 arrows. So you're just fresh, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah. that's big. That's huge. You know, a lot of guys will pick it up in, you know, September 15th when the opener is October 1st. <laughs> and yeah. sometimes it's, it's terrible and they open up their bow and their broadhead broke their bowstring. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, and now they got to <laughs> they got to run in the pro shop get a new bowstring and everything's jacked up now you know yeah yeah, yeah. so 
And I mean, that this can dive deep, you know, it can, we're hunters and it's a responsibility to be as accurate as we possibly can, you know, cause we're dealing with living animals, you know, like it can, it can go back to, it's our responsibility to be as best as we can to shoot these things. So. Right. Yeah. I just, you know, and I, I think that, uh, you know, for me, when I played football, you didn't want to be in the middle of a game with like thousands of people watching you and try to like go, oh, I got to think about this little technique thing with my footwork while the ball's in the air or whatever, you know, like you wanted that right. to be a second nature thing. And so like, I think of it kind of the same way, it, um, you know, you hope that you kind of run through scenarios throughout the summer and you work on your form and technique and that kind of thing. So that when, like you said, that big 160 comes in, you're not thinking about all the things like you can almost naturally pull the bow and have your three anchor points and bend at the waist and that kind of thing, you know, without thinking about it. Yeah. hundred percent. And that, I mean, that's just huge. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be worrying about, you know, shooting when that time comes, you just need to be focused about it in the moment. Yeah. Getting yeah. a range on them and stuff, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. So I want to talk arrows for a second. Can we do that? Yeah. Definitely. All right, cool. So, uh, I got a little story for you. Uh, whenever I was, you know, uh, a mid teenager, you know, 15 or 16 years old, really getting into the bow hunting thing, you know, I had a hand-me-down bow, go to the, to the pro shop and I show up with like the arrows that, that, you know, my friend had given me with the bow and the guy, the guy's like, man, those aren't the right arrows. And he whips out these things that I swear are like the diameter of a softball bat, you know, like (laughs) giant (laughs) aluminum arrows. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, man, this is what you need to be shooting. And so for about a year or two, I had these big old thick aluminum shaft arrows. Well, fast forward, you know, uh, two or 15 years, however long that's been since then. And uh, uh, pretty much from what I understand is there was a time whenever people saw tournament archers using thick shafted arrows uh, and decided that, well, that's what we need to be using in hunting arrows. And that's really not the case right well i mean there was a time easton was making uh what was called a 2315 uh-huh. aluminum shaft that was meant for hunting and that was really before the whole carbon arrow boom i guess you could say yeah i don't know exactly how many years ago it was but um it was like the retro camo on yeah. it and stuff that's the so, ones i had yeah yeah i mean those are the cat's pajamas like back when those were the thing <laughs> seriously everyone had them so dude that's just an expression we don't hear much in texas so i'm gonna start <laughs> oh, using it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've been hanging out with uh all those georgia boys no that's all those. cool that's cool yeah so anyways <laughs> yeah so. so yeah i mean actually that 23 or 2315 arrow shaft is a very very popular indoor tournament archery arrow shaft uh-huh. um today like it's it's the premier one um so that's why you said that um but i mean no one's using that now really unless they're super old school and really there's nothing wrong with it but they bend because they're aluminum you know i mean they're meant for there's a reason why they don't sell them anymore mm-hmm. and they switched everything to carbon you know i mean you have the the fmjs and stuff that are aluminum coated or, you know, aluminum and then carbon, but the carbon keeps the aluminum straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a thing. People <laughs> shot those at, at deer and stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I killed my first 
uh, deer with one, I think. So they at Heck least yeah. work, right? You know, it was cool. Cool, and that was yeah. the old like cellophane uh, fletchings, you know, that you could see through and stuff. Cool, good times. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Way before social media, but <laughs> it, anyways, goodness, yeah. yeah, exactly, man. Goodness gracious. But uh, so. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like what a, a tournament arrow versus a hunting arrow looks like and maybe touch on like what uh, FOC front of center does for a, for a hunter? Yeah. So um, tournament archery, there's a couple forms of tournament archery that require different arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, so indoor, a uh, big thing is, is trying to shoot as big as a, an arrow as you can to try to cut lines. Mm-hmm. So that was a, we were just talking about a 2315. So the diameter is 23. We go all the way up to like a 27 size zero. So quite a bit bigger. Um, so like indoors, a lot of guys will run 27s or 25s even. I actually shoot 25s. Um, but yeah, so bigger arrows inside and then small, 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 small arrows outdoors. So when we shoot the USA archery events, we shoot 50 meters. Um, and we'll shoot an arrow that's called like the Easton X10 pro tour, for example, is the one I shoot. It's like smaller than a pencil, like super small. Cool. And that, that runs the same like FMJ technology, except there's carbon on the outside and aluminum on the inside. Mm. Um, which, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And then it's also like barreled. So on both of the ends, it's skinnier than in the center whoa Mm. yeah it's actually a really unique concept but uh, it cuts through the wind essentially and just stabilizes you know better and we'll run tiny little fletchings to minimize on wind drag and everything's good because sometimes we'll shoot in 20 mile hour winds and we'll have to aim off you know in the you know in the nine ring or the eight ring at times to it just hit the middle wow so yeah that's kind of you know and that goes with field rounds and which you shoot like a golf course style in the woods, um, multiple distances. And then for 3d, um, like competition 3d, um, there's a good variety of stuff because you are shooting a little bit of distance. Um, but it is known yardage and everything with very little wind, um, in most situations. So a lot of guys will run like a 23 diameter arrow, um, 24, 25 diameter, and then, I mean, some guys will run like an X10 super skinny. I've shot a couple of 3D tournaments like that. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely one of the faster options. Um, you know, 3D is, is a speed game too because <clears throat> the smaller your sight tape is, the less, you know, your arrow will drop, you know. Yeah. So the guys, you know, like Levi Morgan shooting his type style, there's different styles in, in 3D. So there's known yardage and then unknown yardage. And Levi and stuff shoots unknown. Mm-hmm. So he literally has to guess his yardage. Um, so having a fast bow for that especially helps. Yeah, sure. Um, mm-hmm. But the known yardage side still helps, but it's not 100% necessary because you can just range it and put it right on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. And then FOC, I mean, honestly, I've, <laughs> I don't even pay attention to FOC. <laughs> <laughs> I, shot, I shot a uh, 550-grain arrow this year which was like a dangerous game arrow and uh, a lot of people made fun of me but i don't really care i just wanted something that was heavy and i wanted to try it out so i ran a five millimeter fmj with a hundred grade helix uh broadhead out front which is like a just a two blade solid you know piece of steel 
um, dual beveled Mm -hmm. and then 70 brass up front. So I was running a really heavy setup and I think I had like nine out of nine pass throughs. Like yeah. I, every, everything I kill, <laughs> like stuck awesome. in the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. So, dude. Yeah. And I shot a 200 pound pig and it just like zip right through it. So Dang. that was my setup this year. Um, only downfall of that is it is a little slower. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did have like two deer duck me completely. Oh, so yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think next year I'll definitely run a little lighter setup. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I just wanted to try, especially out west. I had, uh, <laughs> I shot at a deer that ran completely out of the way before the arrow got there. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, it literally heard my bow and was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and uh, it literally could have, yeah, it was terrible. Wow. Oh, man, that's tough. So, yeah, I had yeah. a, a experience where I had a target buck, is uh, I guess 2016 season, yeah. that just straight up ducked my, I mean, ducked 14 inches and yeah. you know just skimmed hair and it was just like one of those things where ever since then i've been just trying to really figure out if it was more of a i need to change my aim point or shoot a faster setup or whatever but so yeah something that i've noticed that you have a lot of success with and and maybe it's just the videos i've watched of yours and you might it might not be a motif but it seems that everything you shoot doesn't know it's been hit and it like walks off or kind of jogs off like 20 or 30 yards and then you see it fall as opposed to everything that i've shot usually <laughs> runs off like a banshee you know yeah I, and i don't i've I, I have a hypothesis to why it is but i want okay. you want you to tell me what you think first okay um i mean it could be a couple things well i'm trying to think through what i killed this year uh the first two does i killed they ran quite a ways, um, about a hundred yards. Um, and then I mean, my out West stuff doesn't really count too much. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's different. And then the buck I shot in Michigan. Yeah. That one just really jumped up and died 40 yards away. Yeah. And then my Iowa one did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, lo- the moose horn buck, I think was, he didn't run far, right? Or, yeah. I'm, that, that was my Michigan one. Yeah. Oh, that the, was this year? Old dude. Yeah. 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 Oh no, the one horn you're saying? Um, uh, no, or, I was talking about the old old buck. Yeah. Oh yeah, that old buck. Yeah. So I mean, it could be a couple things. Really, with whitetail hunt, it has to do with habitat, in my opinion. Really. Um, so yeah, we do um, a lot of hinge cutting and and habitat work on a 200 acre farm that I have permission on, and um, we had a guy out kind of help us. And my my dad is actually really really big into it on our home property for like the past eight or nine years we've went from seeing like a six point every couple of weeks to shooting like 120 inch deer in michigan yeah so you know we we <laughs> we went all out it's my dad's hobby now so it's cool mm-hmm. yeah it's really cool so on this new farm you know we did a lot of hinge cutting work and we probably hinge cut two or three hundred trees so far this summer or this spring mm, um geez. so i think it has a lot to do with how the deer is in in when you shoot them so you know obviously that that moose horn buck that really old one i shot it was as calm as calm could be you know it was actually peeing on its glands when i shot it yeah. so it had no idea what was going on and i think that was just you know there's not a lot of pressure on that farm we try to hunt it really well and I just center punched him double lunged and he really had no idea what was going on. 
Um, so he wasn't, you know, besides feeling hurt and stuff, he just jumped up and was like, what the heck happened? Mm -hmm. And I've had that happen to several other bucks. Um, but in situations like those two does I shot, that's on a completely different farm that is high pressure and we can't do any work with the farmer won't let us or anything. So it's like, it's like shooting a deer in a park and it doesn't feel comfortable. And it was on, both of them were on high alert pretty Mm -hmm. much. And they just, you know, a bat out of hell got out of there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a a few, you know, guys might say, well, my bow was super quiet and you know, they didn't hear it come in, which is valid. Um, but if they didn't hear it coming and they just had something zip through them and they were high alert, I really think they would have ran out, ran the heck out of there, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, another thing is if a buck is just, you know, dazed and confused in the November 11th, you know, he doesn't really know what's going on because he's five miles away from his home range and he just got shot and he really doesn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah what, what, was, what were you thinking? Well, my hypothesis was after watching yours, I really noticed it, is that yeah. you're shooting that fixed blade broadhead. I shoot okay. an expandable, a Rage Extreme, which is, you know, a, a pretty uh, aggressive expandable. Uh, yeah. At least that's what I shot the past two years. I didn't shoot a deer this year with my bow, so that's fun to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, anyways, uh, and every time I've shot a deer with that, they, you know, run off like crazy, alert or not. And I've kind of thought it was that slapping motion of those blades popping open. I don't, I don't know if it's like they can feel that more or yeah, if it's I mean, a, a sound thing you know i know they kind of spark and make a little sound sometimes and i didn't i didn't know if if maybe you thought maybe the fixed blade versus expandable might make a difference there i mean it definitely could be i mean unless we hook up some testers to a deer and shoot it we don't yeah, really it'd be know. tough to do <laughs> especially with these we jumpy ones <laughs> we need to get a hold of some college kid and just say like here's your senior project just hey you it. know you know some of those so, man you're still I you're do. still doing it i'm in it i'm yeah. in it maybe, maybe i'll do that <laughs> that'd be your uh, your graduate studies man it yeah. be, my thesis or whatever yeah exactly <laughs> Go back for a master's for yeah, advertising no. i don't know if anybody would hire you if you shot people but that's fine. no it'd be a, uh what it'd be a broadhead advertising team campaign there you go there you go perfect (laughs) raising the cage outside the box (laughs) so yeah back to what you said i mean it could be definitely i I definitely know that that you know two blade when it zips through it it you know it's pretty clean Mm -hmm. it's like taking a knife and cutting a piece of paper i mean there it's not tearing or you know making a big gash it's just like it's surgical yeah you know and that's what i like um especially especially if I hit like in the no zone or if I hit, you know, somewhere, you know, I hit a deer out West in the neck. And if I hit a deer in the neck with the rage right there, I really think it would have died, but it didn't because of the two blade. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of deer that are hit with just a sleek little two blade, um, you know, not hit good heal up and they're fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a paper cut, you know, if you get a paper cut on your finger, you put that flat back over and it heals up in a day or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's an analogy I always think of. If you take a three blade or a rage or, you know, something big and you hit the deer like in the butt <laughs> yeah, and, and it, and it's open infected and it could die like a month later, you know? Yeah. 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 So 
Yeah, I mean, your point may be valid. I don't know. We'll have to hook it up and get some college students to do it. <laughs> Perfect, man. Let us know what the results are on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I'll post it. So I know this is like real situational, but when you draw back on a deer and prepare to shoot it, can you kind yeah. of run us through your thought process maybe or you know, maybe you just go into autopilot, I don't know, but what are you thinking? Yeah, uh, that is very situational, but um, – Part of me goes in autopilot, but part of me it tries to keep and autopilot it can break it down into conscious and subconscious minds. I don't know. Are you guys like familiar? It's I've dove really deep into your subconscious mind and your conscious mind because of archery. Because mm-hmm. um, archery is very very mental with the whole pressure situation, and and so is hunting um, in moments like that. So your subconscious is everything you know, like putting tooth toothpaste on your toothbrush and brushing your teeth in the morning like you really don't have to think about that too much or you know like opening up your phone and unlocking it those are things you do hundreds and hundreds of times over and over again that your subconscious engraved and you really don't need to think about it conscious mind is like driving downtown somewhere where you've never driven before like your full attention like trying to figure out what's going on so yeah, definitely part of me wants my subconscious to take over, like my form aspect. Like I'm really not thinking anything form aspect. Um, but you know, I definitely, I got my, I run my binos and then my range finder on a little rope. That's right. Perfect to grab up whenever I need. So I'm constantly ranging, 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 moving the camera, ranging, ranging, making sure the camera's focused, ranging, make sure it's recording, ranging, you know, it moving my sight. And then you know, I'll pull back and, I really try to pick a spot on the deer. Um, and in my very first B season episode, I smoked a doe opening day, like 30 minutes of light. And I hit exactly where I was aiming. And that deer didn't really duck, like just perfect double lung in the heart, like center, you know, center up and down just right in half. Um, then I had another doe stroll through about an hour later and I did the same thing at it, but it was slightly alert and at like 35 yards. And it ducked the crap out of my string, and I ended up just, like, <laughs> nicking the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I was like, huh. You know, I really thought about that, and I was like, I'm going to just take this as a lesson, you know, to just really pay attention. And, you know, different situations of deer habit or whatever the deer is acting like or whatever you can tell, make sure you pay attention to that. So the very next day, um, I hunted that afternoon or no, I hunted that. It was the very next hunt. It was a very fortunate opening day. It was the very next hunt. And I had this doe, for real, I had this doe stroll out. We're on like doe patrol. It's like opening day. So uh, doe strolls out at like 25. Pretty chill. It's like eating alfalfa, or I forget what it was, but it was eating something in the farmer's field. And uh, I was like, I'm going to aim like two inches below this deer and just see what happens. So I range it plenty of time camera on it just like no problem pull back i literally aimed like like my fiber optic pin the top of it was just touching the belly Mm -hmm. and i shot and i freaking i hit that heart like inside out and that deer ducked right into it and it ran like 100 yards and died so my thoughts were it was super quiet um, it was kind of residential, legal, but kind of residential. So there was a dog barking that it kept paying attention to. And so it was like slightly alert and it was out in the middle of a field. And pretty much anytime you shoot at a deer, it ducks at least like an inch 
or, you know, or a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it was a mature doe. So it's like a, you know, four and a half year old buck smart. And I just went for it and it worked out. So, you know, that was definitely a big, you know, like success for me for feeling out a situation and, and following through and knowing that that deer probably is going to duck. Right. But, um, I shot a, or my Michigan buck, that, that, that old buck, I didn't, um, aim low for that one because I knew he was peeing on his glands. He was just got done chasing a doe and he had no idea what was going on. So Mm -hmm. I just, you know, held center and shot. And when I watched the video in slow motion, he does not move until that broadhead touches him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I aimed two inches below that, I would have missed that deer, you know? Yeah. So, and this goes, I'm kind of, kind of going on tangent here, but, uh, the buddy I go hunting with Travis Johnson, he has a hypothesis of deer don't hear the bow. Deer hear the arrow flying at them. Mm -hmm. So what he's done before is, and we've both done actually is do tests where I'll like stand behind a tree right next to the target and he'll shoot an arrow <laughs> and we'll listen and we'll listen to it come down and he'll have like four different variations of fletchings and broadheads and everything. And, and it really makes a difference. Yeah. Like if you shoot a broadhead with holes in it, like a two blade with holes all over it or a three blade, and then you shoot some honking fletchings and you shoot it, it sounds like a freaking freight train going down there. Wow. Yeah. And then if you shoot, you know, like a sleek little, you know, like my, the helix has no holes in it. It's just two blade and then run the smallest fletchings you possibly can, you know, it cuts it by like 50%. Wow. So, you know, the industry has kind of made bows being quiet as an advertising standpoint. You know, they, they're they trying to sell bows and they're trying to figure out what, how can we sell bows, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, quieter, faster, stronger, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for real. So, um, I think a big, 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 big thing is, is the actual arrow going down to the deer. They hear it because a deer's reaction time is very, very quick. So, you know, an arrow coming at you, you'll see their air twitch and then they'll start to drop, you know, like three quarters of the way that the arrow's already there, you know? So I don't know. Food yeah. for thought. That's, that's what goes through. I believe mind. in it, man. Uh, you know, I don't know if you, you knew this or not, but, uh the Romans actually put holes in their broadheads to scare their foes in war. Did you know that? Like, I did not know that. Yeah, so that, like, you know, the Romans, they had iron or brass broadheads on their arrows, and they would actually put holes on one side. That way it would whistle going through the air to, and you know, much slower reaction time, of course, but scare <laughs> scare the yeah, people they're in war with. So, like, it's a thing. It's like a whistle ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay, so... Did you ever grow up playing with those whistle footballs, you know, and you like throw them at Heck night yeah. and they're like the scariest thing ever coming through the air. You don't know where it's going to hit you. Yeah, It's the same, same kind thing. of thing. Yeah, exactly. Just stand in the dark and have your buddy chuck a whistle <laughs> whatever at you and you'll know exactly what a deer feels like. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I'm right there with you. I think they hear it. I also think that I, okay, so the buck that I missed two years ago, uh, I had to grunt stop before he got out of my last shooting lane. Yeah. And uh, he's a public land mature buck, you know. He's 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 on high alert, anyways. And then I grunt stop him, and not only does he stop and look, but he actually looks up at our tree, like where Dang. I'm at. And I yeah. I think that he actually saw my arrow in flight. Uh, oh there, heck yeah! There's no way to know for sure, but I mean, he, his line of sight. I mean, there's it's easy to think he actually saw the thing. You or know? saw you move when you shot, or yeah, you sure. know, whatever. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think that I think that the arrow makes a big difference in it. And and quite honestly, uh, the other day I commented on one of your YouTube videos actually and asked you about some fletchings that that you had fleshed up on. on oh, a, that was you? Yeah, yeah, that was me, actually, yeah. Yeah, I, I responded, right? Yeah, you did. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Dude, that's, no, for real, I, th- this is my biggest pet peeve, is I hate when all of these big people on YouTube and, like, in the hunting industry and everything, and all these people are commenting, and <laughs> they just let them sit. Yeah, like, yeah. You should try like being in the music industry. It's even worse. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I've been you know, there. I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, keep so, going. So yeah, follow Chris B on all his uh, his social platforms. He'll talk to you. Send but, him as many messages as <laughs> you want. <laughs> Send him a bunch of messages. <laughs> no, I really appreciate your reply because I'd never seen that lighted flesh before. But when you said that, that's the thought that came to mind. I was like, man, that's like a a freaking glow stick flying through the air. You know, is you yeah. think a deer would see that or, or be spooked from it? And I guess you haven't had any any so, uh, bad things happen with it, but. Well, not really. Funny story with that is um, they're not a sponsor or anything, but uh, I did reach out to them, and they sent me those on accident. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted the regular ones, and they sent me those. And I'm like, like, well, I might as well just give them a try. And uh, it pretty much saved me a couple hours of fletching my arrows, so I was like, it's a win-win. So you literally just slip them on. And I've been made fun of a lot <laughs> by using them because I mean it's not it's not normal it's not what people usually do and and um, but out of video standpoint and as an ease of use um, they're pretty dang great they're technically it's it's called the nocturnal helios it's like this plastic fletching that slips over the end of your arrow and there's a lighted knock on the end of it and they're technically called a uh, lighted lighted veins because there's a little clear part on the backside of the veins that it's actually illuminated when the lighted knock is up. And I think that was major for my videos this year. Um, cause like lighted knocks, unless it's, unless it's dim or like, you know, right at dark, they don't really pop. But I think a, my videos really, really, really popped because of those fletchings. Like yeah. mm-hmm. most of the time you can watch that arrow sink right into there, you know, yeah. And I mean, they fly legit. I mean, you know, I, I know how to shoot and I was shooting them at like 80 yards and stacking them. So performance wise, a plus, um, ease, a plus ease of use, a plus. Um, the only thing that I don't really like about them is exactly what we're talking about is they're a little noisy. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, cause there's six fletchings. So there's just by the nature of it, there's more surface area for, you know, air to go by. Um, but you know, if I've, I've managed it this year, yeah. if I'm going to use them next year, I don't know. Um, yeah. So, cool. so I think, uh, I think the film that, uh, Casey commented on might've been the Iowa film that you released recently. Yeah. Um, so you decided to shoot that buck on a walk and I was yeah. just wondering why you made that decision and what so that you did was to kill execute mode. it that was kill mode taking over yeah 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 <laughs> I, for uh, sure so oh gosh let me just recap on that hunt sure real fast yep so that was uh me and my dad putting in preference points and uh we had a killer piece of property lined up um going into our fourth year and that fell through last minute Ooh. um so we were in a mat i know so we were in a mad scramble to figure out some property and 
I uh, I know the guys from Muddy Outdoors a little kind of well. Yeah. Um, and we reached out to them. He's like, hey, do you have any ground, you know, or whatever? So we ended up, uh, you know, just working with them on some stuff and got a, a pretty good piece. Um, it didn't have any agricultural on it or anything. Um, so we were pretty much just working with funnels and, you know, trails and everything. So summertime, we went and walked it and hung, I think, six tree stands six or seven tree stands and we just headed out there and you know prime time november um i think we got there november 6th and just hunted and had a couple great opportunities i had like a 160 not on film coming behind me and smell me and mm, a couple man. i had one other yeah i know i had another like 150 inch that just i saw for a couple seconds and chased a doe by and and, uh, so I hunted for nine days and seven of those days were dark to dark, like in the stand. So I was pretty dang exhausted by the time I saw that buck on the ninth afternoon. Um, so yeah, that, that buck was coming in and, uh, I don't, it was at 15 yards and it was walking down a trail and, I had my pin right on it and I just squeezed the trigger. <laughs> I mean, that's really it. I, yeah. I, I, I was just like, I kill mode took over and I was like, well, I just did that. I didn't grunt. <laughs> yeah. Did you put any lead on him at all or anything? No. And I actually hit him like liver. Yeah. So I, looking back at it, I regret this, the decision a hundred percent. Like I wish I stopped it and I think he would have stopped. Um, but you know, I did the same thing. Yeah. I did the same thing. Uh, uh, self filming in, in 2015 and uh, had a big deer on our place that was a seven and a half year old 10 point with a little bit of junk. And um, he came in, same thing, 15 yards, man, and uh, just like almost full broadside, but just so slightly quartered too. Um, mm-hmm. And he was walking, and I was just like, man, it's just, it's just too easy. And I basically put it on his shoulder and I hit uh, maybe four inches back of where I really wanted to, but it was mm-hmm. it was uh, still double on me. He died fifty yards, ran fifty yards, and died. You know, it, it's one of those things where I just kind of wanted to see how much you thought you might have had to have put a lead on it to hit where you wanted to. On yeah, a situation I mean, like I, I really, I really should have been aiming like right at the crease of the shoulder, but I was just aiming center lungs, and it ended up hitting liver. You know, so yeah. yeah. Well, if I could redo it, I definitely would have grunted him, but yeah, you know, cool is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great film. Go watch it if you're listening. And, um, what are you most excited about coming up this fall? So I'll be doing, uh, just hunting in Michigan. Uh, and then I'll do my Nebraska Wyoming with Travis again, which will be great. Uh, Dude. I actually know what I'm, uh, at least know what I'm doing this time. Buck in the truck was awesome. That was cool. Buck in the truck, dude. Oh, my gosh. I just had the craziest fall I feel like I'll ever have. Like, yeah. I'm not even I, – I don't even know if I'll be able to top this. But <laughs> literally, we drove all night for Michigan, showed up in Nebraska like 2 o'clock. Two hours later, we had a buck dead. Like it was just incredible. <laughs> and right next to the Chevy – Oh, it's such a, it's a crazy story. Yeah. I, just, I don't know. Did, didn't y'all uh, get stuck like midnight in Iowa and have oh, to yeah. go knock on a former's door or something? So, Oh, my gosh. There's so much. <laughs> I bet he was so mad so, at y'all. On the, 
on the way to Nebraska, I had a brilliant idea of stopping and checking the trail cameras in Iowa because it was like a half hour or an hour out of the way, I think. Oh, it yeah. only added to the trip. Totally worth it, you know. Sure. So GPS, stupid iPhone GPS was like, turn right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we're like, okay. <laughs> just sent it, you know, right down this old back road and it just rained. And for anyone in the Midwest mm-hmm. knows that B roads are, you know, enter at your own risk roads and just rain freaking muddier than mud. And we didn't make it 10 feet. And we were like looking at each other thinking like we can't turn around we can't do anything the <laughs> only thing we can do is pray that we'll make it to the end of this road because it was only like a mile long and we made it like 300 yards and we barely got off the crown of the road yeah and it just sucked us in right to the mm, edge yep so it's literally 11:30 at night and we don't see one light anywhere because it's <laughs> in the middle of nowhere iowa and uh i <laughs> First thing I said, it was like, okay, well, we can either like sit here and cry. Or, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. This is literally where we're at. We had five days and we had literally like, I invested, you know, my own money in tags and everything. And we only had five days to go to two states and fill five tags. Like we couldn't, we can't be dealing with this right now. Yeah. So I was like, we have to go walk somewhere. Like we have no other option. And, um, so we literally barely said any words to each other. (laughs) We just (laughs) laced our boots up and we started walking we had to walk, like, I think it was close to two miles for like the first house. And it was some farmer's house and the dog's barking and I'm the more outgoing one, I guess you could say. And and Travis is like 30 something and I'm only 20. So I'm knocking on this farmer's door (laughs) and he walks out with his overalls unbuckled and you could tell he like just woke up or whatever and we literally talked to this guy for like 15 minutes trying to convince him to come help us pull us out with a tractor (laughs) and we're like we literally have no other option like we're gonna come bang on your door again in the morning because we have no other option (laughs) so he was like well i got a couple tractors i guess that would work and we're looking around and this is an Iowa farmer. He has like six tractors, you know, yeah. like you have one of those will work, you know? <laughs> and so he ended up being super cool. We jumped on the tractor with him. He pulled us out. Like it was nothing. And that was it. <laughs> and now it's like one in the morning. We went, ran around in the woods at like one in the morning until three in the morning, pulled all the cards and we kept driving to Nebraska. <laughs> there you go. Like we were literally on a mission and it was, you know, a story that for sure I'll be able to tell forever. Heck yeah, dude. That's one of those like, and I don't ever like to like distinguish between like the real hunters and, you know, the posers or whatever. But like, you know that you're living right when you're willing to like take a detour in the middle of the night to go check some (laughs) SD cards, you know, like that's the good stuff, man. Heck yeah. 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 Like, oh gosh. Yeah. That was great. But uh, when we, we, when we, we went back to Iowa, um, or actually when we were stuck in Iowa and we were talking to the farmer after he pulled us out and everything, we asked him if he if we owed him any money, you know, because we were like, please say I was no. ready to fork up. <laughs> well, I was ready to fork up whatever it was, you know, because I was so thankful. But he's like, just like ten bucks. I'm like, are you kidding me? Ten dollars. <laughs> it's like either I just woke you up at eleven thirty at night. Um, so 
And I'm like, you, like, let's give you like something else. He's like, no, it's really fine. And so I'm like, have you ever had antelope? And he's like, he looked at me kind of weird. And I'm like, we're literally headed to Nebraska and Wyoming to go hunt. Like we're going to shoot an antelope. And he's like, no, like I haven't. So I was like, I'm going to bring you back some antelope. So when we went back to Iowa, we brought him just a giant, like half cooler of antelope and mule deer and, and everything. So that was pretty cool yeah. that we were able to do that. Oh yeah. That's awesome, man. That's cool. That was, that was a really cool video. I, I know Casey was intrigued by the enclosed car wash. We don't have those <laughs> yeah. in, in Texas. They're just well, like the power washer. Well, like the y'all do it yourself. You have like roll down doors, I suppose, because it's so cold that you'll just make a snow machine probably whenever you go to <laughs> yeah. spraying the thing. But we don't have that no in joke. Texas. It's not a thing. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. Yeah. So, how does uh, how does the listener go and learn more about what Chris B is doing? Yeah, so I'm on YouTube. Just you know, search Chris B last name B E E, just like the bumblebee. I have to do that every single time. <laughs> um, you know, YouTube that I have a bunch of stuff. I do vlogs, uh, about my tournament archery. And then I have this B season series that, um, I'm falling in love with really. So yeah. And then I'm on Instagram, crispy archery, and then in a sec- separate account, the B season. So man, awesome. We'll link to all that below in the notes. So if you're listening, make sure and check that out. And, uh, Chris, man, we appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy these days. So, uh, Keep us in, involved and uh, let us know what, you, what you've been killing lately. I know you're doing the turkey thing pretty soon, aren't you? Yeah, headed up to Virginia on Thursday. Hopefully we can get it done. Cool. So. Well, good luck, man. I appreciate yeah. your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, was, for uh, sure. Great talking to you guys. Yep, yeah, you too, dude. See ya. All right, see you later, guys. Uh, bye. Man, it's always good to have a young guy on that like knows what he's talking about, you know. I know it at least for once because it ain't us. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, man. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I like uh, talking to the guys that are our age because we can bro it up. But at the same time, like sometimes, you know, guys that are our age don't have as many experiences as the old dudes, you know. Yeah, I think there's a certain formula to, um, you know, experience and knowledge and intelligence, and whenever you add them all up you get something great. And if you just don't have enough time to get the experiences or enough money away from work to get the experiences, you know, if you can do things like what we just did where you talk to a guy who knows this stuff, I mean, that's how you elevate yourself whenever maybe you can't be out there shooting all the time or be in the field all the time. See, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, man, I have, just since we started doing this, I have learned so much. Like, uh, I mean, especially like in the world of whitetails, you know, just like, since I've started doing this, I have learned so many things from these people that have put me in good positions to kill, to kill deer. And I haven't always killed in those positions, but I've come close several times on some pretty hard public land deer, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, we've closed the deal even, and man, it's, uh, it's been a a great ride so far. So yeah, it's like you say all the time, uh, we do this selfishly. just, we just happen to publish it for other people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of like Chris B. We enjoy sharing our experiences. So yeah. Anyway, uh, I appreciate you guys listening, and God bless you guys. And remember, this is your element. Living it.
Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. 